RPG. I am your host, Ashley, and tonight, for this very special bonus episode, I have with me the one and only Jason Mills. How are you doing, Hi. Jason? I'm good. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, I'm happy to have you. So, you are probably a pretty busy man right now, huh? Uh, yeah, we've got a fair amount of work in the pipe still, but uh, we're, we're nearing the finish line, which is very exciting. Yes, that is very exciting. I'm very excited. We're talking about demigods, obviously. I look forward to getting that. It's going to be great. So uh, to get started, we'll talk about that in a little bit. But give me a little bit about your gaming background. How did you get into gaming? Oh, yeah. I I got started in the late 80s with Shadowrun First Edition was my nice. very first RPG. Uh-huh. And I actually missed all of the D&D stuff. I, I didn't I hadn't read Lord of the Rings. I uh-huh. never played D and D. I didn't play any of the fantasy based games. I played Shadowrun, Palladium, GURPS, all of the sci fi stuff because I'm I like my spaceships and aliens and yes. uh, robots and all that. So yes. I um, I came to D and D very late uh, as far as mm-hmm. you know various role playing games, but mm-hmm. uh, I I've. Uh, played uh, as many games as I could get a hold of, and I, I like trying out new systems. <laughs> that sounds like me. I am kind of the same way. I like playing all the different types of systems and seeing what I like best from each one. So with the starting in Shadowrun instead of D&D, we actually just had a conversation about this on the Full Metal RPG podcast a couple episodes ago. But that, to me, I think was one of the things that I did right on accident, because I think a lot of people start out in D&D and then never get out of it. You know what I mean? Yeah, I'd, I'd hesitate to call it right or wrong, but I definitely understand mm-hmm. what you mean, because yeah. if you get into it and you think D&D is the only game out there, that you know, you see a lot of people online wanting to do like, oh, hey, I'm gonna run this in the world of Star Trek, but I'm gonna use the D and D rules, and we'll say uh, a ranger is this kind of you know person on the ship or whatever, and and try to reskin it for that. Mm-hmm. When there's already a really good Star Trek RPG, and yeah, there are several Star Wars RPGs, and the, you know, there's like all those things are out there, and um, I think that's one of the things that I I just want people to know is that it's totally cool to start in D and like D and D Fifth Edition, honestly. Even oh, yeah. as big of a PBTA nerd as I am, Five uh-huh. um, E is a lot of fun to play. Uh, I just want people to know it's not the only game out there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I agree. I I very much like Five um, E as well. Like I'm in a couple of campaigns that do Five E, and uh, Pathfinder's kind of honestly my my first, if you will. That's my first oh, cool. campaign. That's one I've been playing the longest. It's uh, it's got a lot more crunch to it than you know PBTA or Fate or uh, even Tiny D Six, which are some of the other systems that I play quite a bit too. So it's just kind of I guess what I'm in the mood for at the time or what's available. So with you having played a bunch of different systems, what would you say is uh, your favorite? Do you like the more narrative based ones or do you like the ones that are more numbers and all of that? 
Uh, I like, uh, well, let's say I like D&D specifically for what it's good at, which is, um, you know, being able to streamline a big complicated combat and have uh -huh. your, you know, your dragons and your archers and, and to do all that stuff where yeah. the story is combat focused. People tell uh -huh. tons of really good stories and have great role playing moments and all that. But I would say D&D doesn't necessarily um, in, uh, specifically encourage that. Uh, yeah. Whereas uh, the, let's say, various PBTA systems are actively rewarding you for making certain role-playing choices and mm -hmm. encouraging solutions other than fighting that uh, are different ways to solve problems. And so ultimately, I think one of my favorite ways to play ended up being PBTA. Uh, like when I found Apocalypse World uh, by Vince and McGay Baker, mm -hmm. uh they outlined a way of playing that I had been shoehorning my games into. You know, <laughs> I had been doing the thing where I took Shadowrun and, and said it was a space exploration game and, you know, yeah. tried to tried to make that work uh -huh. because I hadn't gone out to find all the other games. And I um, was streamlining Shadowrun. I was cutting it down. I was doing house rules. I was doing all these things to make it into what I wanted it to be mm -hmm. and finding... Uh, Apocalypse World, Masks, Monster of the Week, you know, <laughs> mm -hmm. those were doing what I was trying to do. And so it yeah. was really awesome to uh, find that and land in a, a gaming environment like that. Yeah, definitely. I can see how that would be kind of a, like you're coming home, you know, where you've been trying to make this work and then all of a sudden here it is and it's, it's exactly what you've been trying to make it out. So uh, with... New players, this is something I've been thinking about a lot lately. With someone who's brand new getting into gaming, do you think it would be better to do one of the more, like a PBTA or narrative-based or one of the other ones that are more, like, they have the rules kind of in place for you and they kind of guide you on where to go, whereas the narrative-based ones, you have, it's a lot more open, you know what I mean? So for a new player, what do you think, what do you think would be easiest to get into for them? Uh, I think I'm going to put a big old it depends on the front of this, but um, <laughs> like I just started up a D&D game for some colleagues of mine at uh -huh. work, uh, partly because they came to me and said, will you run D&D &D for us? And I said, yeah, mm -hmm. you want to play D&D? &D, I'll run D&D &D for you. That's fine. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But that's, I also know that they don't know a lot of other systems and that's the thing they've heard of and they want to try out a role-playing game. Right. I'm, I'm not going to discourage them, you know, and say, oh, well, oh, yeah. but you shouldn't play that game. You should play this other game that I like. Yeah. Um, so in, in that respect, like you said, it has all these um, uh, uh, railings on it that, that are very clear for a new player to understand the only uh -huh. downside is that it's incredibly deep. You know, there there's yes. a lot to, you know, when we sat down to make characters, one of the people in the group has played a little bit before, and then mm -hmm. the three others are basically brand new. And the the guy who had some experience was sort of, you know, we, we were commiserating a little bit because he was like, oh, well, I never really thought about how much front loading there was as the other, you know, we were both helping <laughs> the other three make their characters. And yep. there's so much you have to understand of like, Oh well, you need your dex bonus because it's also your AC and your to mm -hmm. hit with a a bow. And <laughs> oh well, the dex bonus comes from if your dexterity is this number, then you get this plus. And yep. <laughs> you know, trying to reverse our way through how to explain all that, just making first level characters. Yeah. Um, but if you're somebody who wants to, um, you know, work within that kind of realm, 
it is very well laid out. There's very mm -hmm. little room for misunderstanding or, or disagreement on how the rules work because mm -hmm. they've made a rule for everything. Yeah. Um, but similarly, I've had other groups of friends where their first games were PBTA games and they came from areas like, um, you know, they were theater folk or improvers or, or mm -hmm. anything like that. And they, their number one priority was tell a story and whatever we can do to streamline that process, they, they weren't interested in, in the, um, the, you know, the in-depth rules, which again, is not, not a diss on, on D and D oh, as, yeah. a, as a system. It was, mm -hmm. it's just going to be different for different people. And I, I would love to just say, oh, everyone should play PBTA. But right. honestly, uh, the, the folks at my work are, would, would be really uncomfortable doing a deep dive into, you know, some character role play where we're going to mm -hmm. talk about our feelings. Um, uh -huh. That I, they're not, I don't think they want to do that yet. And so maybe we'll get there. I'll try to sneak it in, of course. Cause yeah, right. <laughs> I'm, I'm a big RP nerd. <laughs> oh, but, yeah. Um, yeah, I, I think you have to kind of read your group and see what's gonna, what's going to be a good fit for them. Because even if you think your group is going to love PBTA, mm -hmm. not every PBTA, you know, Powered by the Apocalypse game is going to work. Like, um, personally, I had a little bit of trouble getting into Monster Hearts because mm -hmm. it um, really explores some issues that are that are tough to get into. Uh, mm -hmm. whereas I know other folks who Monster Hearts was their very first RPG and it was a slam dunk and they want to only play RPGs forever now. So <laughs> that's, that's the sort of thing that's, that's hard to, you, you want to check your audience, see what it is they want and need and are ready for. And, uh, I, I, <laughs> I wish mm -hmm. I could give a, a nice clean answer to that, the question of where should we start? <laughs> that would be There's awesome. There's not always nice, clean answers, but it's just something I've been kind of thinking about lately. And I'm like, since I have Jason here, I'll ask him. <laughs> so, yeah. Well, and um, of course, the answer I should give is everyone should start with demigods. <laughs> right. <laughs> everyone should start with demigods. Absolutely. I'm very excited for that, by the way. I know I said that already, but I am very, very excited about that. Well, so thank you. that was for new players. Would you say as a GM or a DM or an MC, whichever system you're playing, uh, do you think having those rules kind of laid out for you a little bit more solidly would be easier for someone who's starting out yeah, being kind of I, in charge? I actually think um, I, I had come across this argument that I hadn't thought of before, and it was such an interesting perspective where mm -hmm. I was originally saying, like when I discovered Masks, which was actually my first Powered by the Apocalypse game, I was like, oh okay. my gosh, this is set up so great. This is doing everything I've wanted to do in an RPG. It's yeah. so clean and tight and, you know, tells exactly the right tone story. Um mm -hmm everyone should run this as a game. And I hadn't thought about the fact that as the MC in a, a game like that, you you have to really be ready with, you know, what's your hard move? What's your soft move? Um, mm -hmm. What, you know, how are you going to react because it's so player driven? Um, mm -hmm. you, you have to constantly make stuff up off the top of your head. And if it's your first time doing this, that's a really uncomfortable place to be in. Yeah, um, and so I think a lot of times having the structure of something like D and D or Traveler or uh, the the Star Trek system or, or whatever, where there's uh -huh. a, a really clear outline system of of how to deal with things and how to set up an adventure and do all that, I think that's uh, that can be a, a much more secure place to start, which mm -hmm. really uh, is. If, if you don't feel secure and safe when you're running the game, it, it's just not going to be fun for anybody. And if it, yeah. 
if it's better to start with something where all the rules are really clear and laid out and um, uh, available to access, then that Mm -hmm. maybe is better. Yeah, I think it comes down to kind of your level of what level of improv are you comfortable with? You know, if you're one of those theater kids that came in, you might be a little bit more inclined to do that instead because you do get to kind of think on your feet. So, yeah, I think that it depends. Definitely goes both ways as far as I'm concerned. Uh, Yeah, totally. I have friends that love the narrative-based systems. I have friends that hate narrative-based systems. I have one friend in particular. um, she, She can't stand any narrative game as soon as we start talking about it. She's like, I don't want to play. <laughs> so she really likes the crunch and the guidelines of all of that. So yeah, it all comes down to the player, I guess. Yes, you're absolutely, I'm on the same page with you on that. So uh, with PBTA, Powered by the Apocalypse, I met you this past summer and through talking to you and uh, that was the first time I had ever heard of Powered by the Apocalypse. Oh, cool. Yeah. So I was just like, is it just me or is it LA gets things before we do in Arizona? (laughs) I'm not sure. But even still, it seems like Powered by the Apocalypse is kind of uh, uh, the new hot thing. Um, Some friends that I was talking to that are big into gaming, maybe it's because they only stick to the systems that they stick to. I don't know, but they've never heard of it. I was talking to them just this week about PBTA and they had never heard of it. So why do you think that PBTA is on kind of a big come up right now? Like, why do you think it's drawing so many people into it? It's a step away from the big D&D Pathfinder, things like that. It's very different from that. But what do you think is drawing people to that right now? Uh, that's that's a really good question because, um, you know, before I played Masks, um, mm-hmm. that that was my first PBTA several years ago. And I had the exact same thing of like, wow, what is this new thing? And, and really, it's been out for a, a while now. And so it yeah. sort of depends on where, where and when you access it. Because I know... Um, I had heard of Dungeon World before I had heard of Apocalypse World, and I didn't Uh know which one came first. And then, you know, got just sort of (laughs) dove into all of the background there. Yeah. Uh, And I think it's going to, I think it's like you said, you know, folks play games that they're used to. Uh, mm-hmm. I had sort of wound down thinking I, I was getting tired of RPGs in general because I had only ever played Shadowrun or D&D or a lot mm-hmm. of these, you know, big, crunchy, you know, wh- wh- however you want to describe it, games. And yeah. they can get a little bit exhausting sometimes mm-hmm. uh, to either run or play. There's just so much to keep track of and, um, you know, finding something that was streamlined. I personally found it a huge relief and it got mm-hmm. it, it like reignited my fire for uh, gaming and game design and you know got to finally finish this this idea for a, a game where you play you know modern demigods and mm-hmm. um, yeah. you know found a, a framework that uh, made this idea finally fit into place um, mm-hmm. as for why it's the new hotness uh, I, I just think it's it's easily accessible. And if Uh you're wanting to try out something, uh, try something new or even get into the hobby, it is really easy to sit down, hand people playbooks and say, this one page is everything you need to know to play your character. And you don't need a player's handbook. You don't need a Dungeon Master's Guide. You just have to circle some of these things on the background and pick a couple moves and jump in and tell a story together. And so I think that makes it really accessible to mm-hmm. a, a broader number of people. There are also a bunch of uh, different 
uh, what's the right word? Like genres, right? There's mm-hmm. there's high school drama. There's there's superheroes. There's dungeons. There's mm-hmm. uh, space exploration. You know, there's there's everything you could want using the similar mm-hmm. framework. So, um, mm-hmm. and, and you know, the the thing that I've heard more often is people <laughs> starting to get tired of PBTA, which yeah. <laughs> um, is is sort of the other side of that, where you know some people have just had it and they've seen so yeah. much of it and like, okay, not everything needs to be PBTA, which I absolutely <laughs> agree with. That yeah, it it doesn't have to be, but I think one thing I would want to say about that in general of either people finding it for the first time or people being sort of over it. One of the criticisms I hear of PBTA is that it feels restrictive or that the the moves that are outlined in the basic moves or on your playbook, they feel Uh like you're hemmed in and that's the only thing you can do when that's really not the intention of the system. The, uh, you know, it's, it's meant to be, you can do anything you want. And when Mm -hmm. you want to do something like this, here's a way to roll some dice about it. Um, Yeah. And, and that's what I find, I, I find it less restrictive than something like D&D or Shadowrun that, you know, tries to make a skill or a rule for every possible thing that could happen. Right, yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah, that's a, a long answer to a very short, simple question. Oh, no, it's, I love it. <laughs> that's one of my favorite things is to just be like, here, I have this question. What are your thoughts? And then just let you go for, you know, a half an hour or whatever. I love it. Well, I can um, definitely ramble. So <laughs> <laughs> so one of the things that you mentioned is that it's more accessible. You said you think that people are into it more because it's just a more accessible system for people. And I know that accessibility and diversity in gaming is when I think of accessibility and diversity and the people that are really pushing for that, you're one of the first names that come to my mind because I know that that's kind of a big thing for you. And um, if you have any thoughts that you want to share on that, I would love to hear them. Uh, It's not so much a question as just something I want to tell you that you're definitely one of the first names that pop into my mind when I think about that. Oh, well, thank you for saying that. I, I think it's important for any game designer at this point to to be thinking about that. It's it's mm-hmm. not the 80s or 90s anymore. And and we mm-hmm. know enough, everybody, you know, there, there have been people. So I, I should say for the listeners, if they can't tell, I am a middle-aged white guy uh, who <laughs> wanted to make a game about modern gods. And uh-huh. um, that meant trying to take into account a lot of points of view and not wanting it to just be about um, gods from very uh, white parts of the world. And so needing to do that in a way that takes into account other people's points of view meant um, interviewing lots of people, doing a lot of research, and bringing people on to the creative team who had personal experience with with other Mm -hmm. belief systems and other cultures and, and made sure that the uh, the artwork and references and things in the book um, didn't just come from my one point of view and and tried to bring in as many points of view as possible. And I think <laughs> the games that are going to be really exciting, you know, now and in the future are games that pull in as many possible points of view as they can. Mm-hmm. You know, I think it's important to look back at a game like Shadowrun you know, one of my favorites, and it always will be because it's near and dear to my heart, Uh there are a lot of um, problematic, uh, you know, racist and misogynist components to the original game that Mm -hmm. you have to look at and acknowledge instead of just pretending that's not there. And Mm -hmm. when I run Shadowrun, I'm running Shadowrun on a stream now, and 
those are things that we acknowledge and it's there and we're going to uh you know play against that and and, and mm-hmm. just move on so that's mm-hmm. i think that's the goal is to widen the field bring in people who have felt kind of pushed to the side for a long time yeah. and make as many people feel welcome as as we can yeah i agree with that wholly the when you were talking about shadow run and some of the things that you acknowledge are problematic and then you move past them um i don't know if you've seen in the new edition of Call of Cthulhu, they have that whole page about H.P. Lovecraft. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I was yeah. like, that's great, because, I mean, he he was kind of a garbage person. So you acknowledge that, but you still have that lore and everything that he created. And so it comes down to separating the person from the creation and yeah, all and that's of that. Absolutely something we can all do. You know, we don't mm-hmm. have to just throw these games in the trash. But I think that, the you know, the, the folks who worked on Call of Cthulhu absolutely Mm-hmm. made a strong choice and and said, yeah, this is who this guy was. We don't have to pretend it's anything else. Right. <laughs> and uh, let's acknowledge that. And now let's go tell some fun stories in the, yes. the world that, that was spawned from there. And it's no longer about H.P. Lovecraft. It's about the stories all of us are telling in 2020. Exactly. And, yes. Uh, that's. I, I think that was an inspired approach to to take. Yeah, I loved that. I was just like, yes, it's you're taking this world and now you're kind of taking it over and you're telling the stories and you're making it kind of your own thing, which I thought was great. So I yeah. love that. There's uh, um there, there's a a bit in uh, running demigods as a game mm-hmm. because in almost every culture I researched, uh, there were extremely problematic sexual assault stories and mm. that was basically where every demigod came from in, in oh. the you know from ancient greek to yeah. uh you know from all, all around the world there, there were extremely unfortunate stories that yeah. taken through today's lens like hopefully we can take a more modern approach to that and so there's there's a section in there where i talk about okay these these are how the stories were told a thousand years ago here's how we can get into these stories today without just assuming um you know sexual assault in every mm-hmm. instance because not you know people mostly don't want to tell those stories so we yeah. can take responsibility for that and move the move the marker forward hopefully yes yeah that's interesting i can see how that would be uh, problematic in your research to try and be like how can i do this differently <laughs> so let it, let's talk about demigods now because I know that you you settled on PBTA for demigods, and when I say settled on, I mean that's what you landed on, not that you settled at all. Because I know oh, right. PBTA, yeah. <laughs> like you said, PBTA is kind of your it's your favorite. You're a big PBTA nerd. So how did you how did you decide that that was the system you needed to use for this story that you wanted to create this world? Well, it happened fairly organically. Um, I love mythology-based stories forever. And when um, Scion came out, that Mm -hmm. was one of my all-time favorite games. I still love Scion. I have all the books. I think it's Mm -hmm. an awesome game. Uh, Mm -hmm. But I had trouble telling the stories that I wanted to tell. Mm -hmm. You know, a lot of the game, it goes into such incredible detail. It tells a bunch of cool stuff about different cultures from around the world. And... um, but what it ends up doing is telling you, here's how these gods are, right? This is how this god would react to this situation. And yeah. that, to me, when I felt like when I wanted to tell a story that was different from that, I had players going, well, look, here in the book, it says so-and-so is like this, and they wouldn't do that. 
And so, you know, I wanted a little bit more flexibility from it. Mm -hmm. uh, when I sat down and played Masks for the first time, I thought, wow, okay, these are teenage superheroes. Superhero mm -hmm. stories were largely informed originally by old yep. mythology stories, which is yep. kind of a funny turnaround. And I thought, okay, I'm going to take masks and say, instead of superheroes, we have powers from divine beings. Mm -hmm. And, you know, just like I tried to take Shadowrun and turn it into a space exploration right. <laughs> game. And you can never play anything just the way that it is. You have to try and make it your own. <laughs> right. And But as in that, I found, okay, well, this game is actually super tuned to playing teenage superheroes and it's mm -hmm. very very good at that and now i'm trying to make it do something that it wasn't designed for <laughs> uh what uh -huh. you know how can i do it what what can i do to refine that and started uh playing around with it and you know looking at um you know scion as inspiration also um mm -hmm. huge inspiration from things like american gods or good mm -hmm. omens uh th those were uh yeah you know i'm, I'm a big fan of those books uh so yeah. Uh, eventually, I had to sit down and, and start creating something from whole cloth, but being able to use the PBTA structure meant I, I had a, a way to think about what these characters were versus, you know, completely Wild West, you know, anything goes. I could say, mm -hmm. okay, well, playbooks are sort of designed around uh, a trope or a concept, uh -huh. and I could boil down let's say the concept of the trickster or the warrior or, um, you know, the artisan or, or whatever it was based mm -hmm. on the, the stories that we have from all over the place. Um, you know, most gods and goddesses have a couple of uh, specialties and mm -hmm. that's what they're good at. And, and so leaning into that, using that as inspiration, you know, allowed me to come up with the playbooks and, once I had those, it was just hop, skip, and a jump to codify the rest of the things that make demigods unique from other PBTA games. Mm -hmm. You know, the way we do experience is a little bit different, and the fact that we have a death move because you can keep playing your character while you're dead, um, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, was was something that I had to figure out a way to do that because uh, you know, he heroic characters who are part divine are uh -huh. constantly dying in stories yes. and then fighting their way out of whatever afterlife they found themselves in. And um, True. I, wanted to, I wanted to have a way to incorporate that into a, a story about modern demigods as well. Awesome. Okay. So uh, listening to you talk about this, have you read the any of the Rick Riordan series? Oh, yeah. I'm not super familiar with it, but I okay. <laughs> after having worked on demigods, I have a lot of people coming back and like, hey, can I run this as a Percy Jackson game? Like, <laughs> I think so. Like, I saw the first movie and I'm like, okay, yeah, I, I get where oh. this is going. I, I see why people like this. Um, uh -huh. But it wasn't something I was super familiar with at the time. Uh -huh. And yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I actually, uh, somebody was running a, a Percy Jackson style story and mm -hmm. emailing me about it because he, he wanted to run it for his kids. And that's it, awesome. They were having a great time. And so I, uh, I have to assume that's <laughs> relatively compatible. But the, the thing that I know uh, Rick Reardon did in the story is that the, the child of whichever, you know, god or mm -hmm. goddess they were talking about, their traits are very, very similar to their divine parent. Yes. And uh, that's that really lines up with how Scion plays as well. Mm -hmm. uh, and one of the things I wanted to do was have your your demigod character can actually be really different from your divine parent and, okay. you know, can be inspired by. But sometimes kids don't turn out the way their parents want them to. And yep. <laughs> uh, that uh, was w one of the core things that I wanted to explore with demigods was, 
you know, being different from your parent or maybe not knowing who your parent is and, uh, you know, mm-hmm. just being involved in the supernatural world and trying to figure that out, you know, playing to find out yeah. uh, that and that that whole uh, ethos of PBTA of playing to find out was mm-hmm. something that I wanted to embrace in a game like this. Yeah, that makes sense. So when you were talking about there's certain things about demigods that are different from the other PBTA games, like being able to play your character while it's dead, for example, um, what what mechanics did you put into demigods that will set it apart from the other PBTA games? What are some of the things that make it unique and special? I think one of the things that stands out that PBTA veterans will notice is that um, in most PBTA games, you get an XP, an experience point, whatever they Mm -hmm. call it in that game. Uh, Mm -hmm. You get it when you roll a six minus on the dice. So in case somebody hasn't played it, all Mm -hmm. PBTA, you roll two six-sided dice. On a, if the dice and your attribute add up to 10 or more, you have a, like a critical success. Everything goes mm-hmm. great. If you get a, a 7 to 9 total, then mm-hmm. you have a sort of mitigated success or kind of a crappy success. Like you, uh-huh. you essentially did what you set out to do, but maybe with a cost or a, yeah. a complication. And then if you get a total of 6 or less, there's a serious complication. And you may have even accomplish what you set out to do but Mm -hmm. you will almost certainly be sad about it (laughs) um, that that i think is such a cool complicated way to tell a story of a six minus does not really mean a miss in pbta Mm -hmm. it might be but it it kind of walks away from the player sitting at the table waiting for their turn making their dice roll and it's a whiff and nothing happens you know yeah and so the the idea that pbta one the game master doesn't roll dice it's it's entirely based on how the players roll and Mm -hmm. so if I roll a six minus, then the game master gets to take a hard move and they're just going to make something happen. They don't roll the dice. I already rolled the dice that made it happen. It's my right. fault. You yeah. know? <laughs> and, and I did this. Yeah. And I, I really like that about it. And, and mm-hmm. hopefully the game master will try to tailor it to, oh, so I rolled a six minus trying to kick open this door. Well, mm-hmm. my character's a big burly warrior. I could probably kick open the door. That's not really at issue. So, okay, I kick open the door. Oh, but whoops, it's all ogres inside, oh. you know, or, or whatever. Um, just, or I've, I've called attention to us because the door had an alarm on it or you know, uh-huh. what, whatever it is. Um, or it hits something and flies back and hits you. Right. In uh, most PBTA games, getting that six minus, mm-hmm. something bad happens. You're not going to get exactly what you set out to get. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you get an experience point. And I think that's really cool. You're you're learning from failure. You know, mm-hmm. that's yeah. the best the best life lessons are when yeah. we fall flat on our face. But in an effort to make demigods feel epic, you know, like we're really going big and fighting stuff, there's a slight tweak to the average attribute value. And so the attributes in demigods are a tiny bit higher than you would expect in other PBTA games. Mm-hmm. And it was just enough that it felt like we were never getting XP or we weren't getting XP very quickly. And so I changed it from being instead of a six minus, just an arbitrary doubles. So if you roll doubles on the dice, so whether uh-huh. it's two twos or two fives, it doesn't matter what the total of your roll was. It's just uh-huh. if, if the dice come up doubles, you gain a thread is a, what we call our XP and demigods. Okay. And 
So that's the first departure. And then you can also, the thing that's the same as other games, if you save up five threads, you can buy an advancement, which is like a level up. Mm -hmm. But in Demigods, you can also spend your threads one at a time to get little, like immediate help, Mm -hmm. uh, which can make it hard to save up for five threads sometimes, which (laughs) was kind of a, a, a balance thing that helped that flow a little bit better. Uh, mm-hmm. in a in a game where the characters are a little bit you know they're, they're meant to feel high powered and and powerful and yeah it, it uh smoothed out that process um i think one of the other differences is the number of moves uh uh-huh. and uh gifts in the game so the, a lot of games will have some sort of equipment list you can choose from or items and the gifts each playbook has nine things to pick from the moves each playbook has nine moves to pick from so mm-hmm. there uh, in a lot of pbta games you get four or five things to pick from and that's great for most of those games that's extremely well tuned and it's exactly what you want um, mm-hmm. But I think Demigods is tuned to be a little bit more towards campaign play, even if it's a short campaign, uh, uh-huh. because there are so many things to pick when you level up that it plays fine for a one shot, but it feels better in the medium to longer campaign, which mm-hmm. uh, was something I found uh, a little bit frustrating in, in, you know, most of the PBTA games I've played. It didn't feel like I could play this character for a year you know, yeah. in, of, of gameplay because you would get XP, you get your six minuses, whatever. And then within a few advancements, I have unlocked all the moves or I've, I've like done everything I can do with this character. And mm-hmm. that's built into the game. Most PBTA games have a, you know, retire this character and, and get a new playbook or yeah. your character goes off into the sunset or, or whatever it is. <laughs> and that's, that's baked into the game. So I just, I wanted a little bit longer burn on um, a demigods campaign. So that's, that's one, that's another sort of major departure, I think. Okay. Very cool. Yeah. I was, cause I was wondering about that. I know that there were things that you wanted to do differently in it. So I'm excited to see how that actually plays out once we get them. So that'll be awesome. Um, so with the different demigods that are in here, I know you said you wanted to kind of do modern day gods. And I know some of them were, I think behavioral health was one. I think the internet was one. Is that right? Oh, yeah. I have a few uh, pantheons in there that I came up with for the, the setting in Demigods. The setting, however, is not strictly tied to the game. So if you wanted to play in ancient Greece, you could kind of <laughs> make it work. There's a lot of reference to, you know, your, you know, if you had a, a some sort of modern technology with you, you know, there's some moves that reference things like that, but you don't have <laughs> to use it. Uh, I had somebody do a kind of a roaring 20s one shot. Nice. Which was super, super That's cool. Awesome. Yeah. Um, that, that was, they, they streamed that. It was super fun. But the uh, the setting that I wrote is based on this idea that uh, the gods can't come to Earth very often because they warp reality around them. Uh, mm-hmm. Even demigods are not supposed to collaborate too much because their power, their combined power starts to warp reality the way that a god mm-hmm. does. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But the demigods in at your table, you know, in your play group have, have done a cool thing. That's sort of the, the backstory of building your characters together. You've uh-huh. done this cool thing that ties your fates together and props it up. So you're the in the, the first time in thousands of years of history, uh, a group of demigods is able to work together. And so the characters are sort of unique in that way. Uh-huh. And then 
that leads to being able to set up modern pantheons in the sense of, uh, you know, I've, I've written the media pantheon, which I think of as uh -huh. kind of a monotheistic with saints and angels type of thing. So uh -huh. that basically the internet is the top of the media pantheon. And then anything that could be considered media is mm -hmm. what's called a celebrant in, in the media pantheon. So, okay. you know, you have radio and podcast and TV and oh, good old books is hanging in there, you uh -huh. know? <laughs> uh, so um, you can bring those into your game in, in lots of different ways. And, um, and another major pantheon that I brought in that actually ended up being that helped solidify why I was making the game in, in mm -hmm. the development process was the science pantheon, mm. which uh, seems a little counterintuitive at first because science and deities <laughs> don't seem to go hand in hand. Yeah. <laughs> but I based it on the fact that there are in, in real life, I think there are most of us who believe that science is real. You know, we, mm -hmm. we are quite certain that the earth is round and things fall when you drop them. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, <laughs> uh, hot things are hot. And, you know, we, we uh, assume these things are the case, but we wouldn't actually be able to explain why those things happen. And uh -huh. so for most of us, we believe in science. Uh, and so in, in the world of demigods, it's anything that has received a you know, significant amount of belief or worship um, spawns deities because the mm -hmm. power of human imagination is incredible. And we have a whole pantheon of gods who ultimately resent their own existence because uh -huh. <laughs> they are the incarnation of physics and chemistry and you know astronomy, but they are the incarnation of what most people think physics is about. Yeah. And so they're not quite right. And, and right. they uh, are, as a mostly, most of the science gods are sort of antagonistic to the the other pantheons and deities. So they, they become kind of a, a fun bad guy in the campaign. Yeah. How fun. Okay. So at character creation, when you're doing all of the um, character connections and all of that, that's where you kind of set it up to where they can work together without things exploding? Yeah. Yeah. There's a okay. section in there where they, they tell the story of uh, how they met up and there is this component to the game called your spindle. And so uh -huh. everybody decides on this person, place, or thing that is in the world that all of the players' characters thought was important before, but they didn't know that each other thought it was important, if uh -huh. that makes sense. You know, so yeah. everyone's favorite bowling alley or their favorite barista or, or uh -huh. whatever for, you know, they all know this thing for different reasons. And then they had to come together to save it from being destroyed. And that act is what um, gives them the ability to work together in the future is they, they have solidified a bond with this uh, spindle uh, uh -huh. and, and it has tied their fates together. They actually can't get rid of each other at this point, so they might as well work together. <laughs> Even if they wanted to. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so which one would you say of the demigods that you've created and that you've put into this game, which one's your favorite? Is there one that oh. has like a soft spot you have a soft spot for? Of the playbooks? Yeah. Yeah. I. So how about three answers? Three for one. Um. Three is great. I won't tell the other ones. Don't worry. Okay. <laughs> So yeah. there, there are nine playbooks, and mm -hmm. I started the game for to, to, to make what was originally called The Lover, and through refinement became The Muse, because it wasn't really just about 
love and relationships. Mm-hmm. So the muse is, is sort of your inspirational kind of bard character if you're more into D&D stuff. Uh-huh. So that was something that always appealed to me is is that inspirational character. And then the warrior, which seems like such a boring, straightforward concept, um, <laughs> was something that was really important to me to get right. Uh, whenever I sit down to play a new game, I always look at what is their sort of vanilla, boring fighter? What does that mm-hmm. look like? And mm-hmm. If I like the way that's built, then I have some confidence that uh, I'm going to like the rest of the game. Because I feel like if you can't okay. get your fighter right, um, yeah. that's what, what else is going to go wrong. Right. <laughs> that makes <laughs> sense. So that that was an important move for me to get those two, which also are a little bit opposites, ultimately. You know, when one is... Yeah. But then in the course, I, I was assuming in making these playbooks that one of those two would end up being my favorite... And then uh-huh. I uh, was working on one that wound up being called The Artisan. It, it went through being the smith and the creator and all those types of things and, and finally boiled down to being the artisan, you know, the one who creates and, um, you know, makes objects or machines or, or things uh-huh. like that. And that is the one I probably identify with the most. If I was mm-hmm. going to um, play one for a long campaign or something, I would probably want to play The Artisan, which ironically is one of the least picked up in all my play tests so i <laughs> i don't know i guess i'm the weirdo that, <laughs> that likes that thing but um it was almost like discovering it when i was yeah. when i was writing it whereas the others were all it was of course it was all labor of love and i love all my children equally definitely uh, <laughs> but working on the artisan felt like i was realizing what the artisan was instead of making it up which sounds awfully grandiose now that i've said that out loud but <laughs> Um, no, that makes sense, though. It makes sense. That's awesome. Very cool. I'm excited to meet all of them when we get them. So uh, I know that right now you said you're finishing up on all of the because this was kickstarted and it was successfully funded pretty quickly, right? Oh, yeah. We we were funded within a few hours, actually, yes. which yeah. I was sh- I mean, I had some confidence that we would fund because I had you know, the people telling me they were interested in the game before we started mm-hmm. a Kickstarter. But like my big pie in the sky dream was 200% funded by the end of the month, right? Yeah. Um, that that sounded like an amazing fun dream goal. <laughs> and we went over 500%. And it oh. was, I have to give massive credit to the artists who worked on this. Um, uh-huh. Amelia Vidal, um, the artist who is now uh, too busy to work on Demigods because she works for Boom Studios and Marvel. Uh, you oh, know, wow. a couple, couple little comic book companies that are just, you know, trying to make their way in the world. Little uh, startups, I know. She has to help them out. I get it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so was I feel really lucky. to. She, she did all of the main playbook art. And uh-huh. so um, that was obviously a big draw for folks. I also have oh, yeah. Minerva Fox working mm-hmm. on um, most of the, like did all the cover art, mm-hmm. a bunch of the interior art. And then we have this incredible team of people. If you go look at the Kickstarter page, there's a ton of artists on there that um, mm-hmm. brought in to make sure we had lots of different points of view yeah. on there. And so I know a lot of people came in, looked at the art, said, yes, this, I want this thing. And mm-hmm. You know, I I found out afterwards there were a number of people who backed the Kickstarter and didn't know there was a fully playable quick start available, you know, (laughs) and so they were backing it and it funded it. They said, hey, it's funded. Do you have any like playtest materials we could look at? I was like, gang, there's Mm -hmm. a link up there that says quick start. I don't don't know what to say. Right. (laughs) Thank you for backing this with knowing nothing about the game. That uh, It was, was, you know, it, it was just this 
this big kind outpouring of support that um, mm -hmm. I am so grateful to have been a part of and can only take partial credit for because folks were <laughs> signing up before they even saw how the game worked. And it's it's just been awesome. I've, I've heard from lots of people who've been playing with the quick start now. And it's just weird. There's this thing out there with, <laughs> with my name on it that people are playing and streaming. Mm -hmm. There was a stream in French that... I watched yeah. half of the first episode and went, I don't actually know French and I don't know what's going on, but they look like they're having fun. So I'm happy. <laughs> yeah. And that's what's most yeah. important. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah. Looking at the Kickstarter and all the things that were there between the artwork and just the concept is just very, very cool. So I was, I was really excited to back it when it was on Kickstarter and, uh, it's going to be great. I'm very excited to get everything. So, um, when do you think all of that's going to be oh, out yeah. there to the people that's, who that's backed it? That's the question of the ages. <laughs> the, um, uh, so we've just barely missed our original target of November 2019. So, uh? <laughs> <laughs> but it actually looks like we, we should have our layout and everything done by the end of March 2020, depending on when you're listening cool. to this. And once that goes <laughs> out, then it's just the mechanical question of, unfortunately, we're now in a position of how will we get things printed? You know, pretty much everything is printed in China at this point, and they... Yeah. There are some obvious holdups there with a lot of people being sick and, and trying to figure out how, yep. to, how to stay healthy. So that's, of course, more important yeah. than printing my book. Yeah. And, um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So we'll have to play that by ear and, and see what happens. But at least the PDF should be out and everybody, at least the PDF should be out by the end of March. That's the whole thing. It's not going to be short of anything that's in the printed material. So, uh, you know, everybody mm -hmm. who ordered a physical book is going to get the PDF as well. So at least we should have mm -hmm. that. And um, then we'll figure out the printing process as, as quickly yeah. as physically possible. Yes. And this was your first game, yeah, correct? Yeah, this is my first published work. I've, I've got uh -huh. a few more in the pipeline now that it, it seems like some folks like what I did. And... Um, yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to fin wrapping this up and putting it in everyone's hands and then moving on to the next project. Yes. And it's, was this your first Kickstarter yeah. as well? Yeah, my first Kickstarter. Okay. Um, I've, I've backed yeah. lots of projects because I'm, I'm, I, oh, I'm yeah. a real big stan of the whole indie RPG community. And I'll go back yes. stuff just because it looks like somebody had a cool idea. And even if it doesn't come out great, mm -hmm. it's... You know, it's just fun to see people um, innovating and doing something different. And yeah. I, I, I love the whole indie community. Yeah, yeah, I do too. And I spend way too much money on Kickstarter, oh, one I, would I argue. But <laughs> yeah, but that's the thing is people are creating things. And I want to support that any way I can because we need people to create. We need creators, you know, so I'll, I'll throw money at it all day long yeah, if I can. I'm, I'm you know? in the same boat. Um, yeah, but that's the thing with Kickstarters is I think the other side of that is since you have backed them before you know sometimes and by sometimes i mean most <laughs> of the time they don't deliver on yeah, time that is true and <laughs> so you know, with the exception yeah. of the big companies that come out that probably didn't need to kickstart it right. in the first place and they're really using kickstarter as yep. a pre-order platform which of course yep. nobody would do because that's against the rules of kickstarter of course uh, not <laughs> you know aside from those companies that already have their whole you know uh print pipeline set up. Yeah, you know, we're uh -huh. all regular folks with with day jobs and doing our thing. I I don't know if everyone I'm I teach high school, you know, so my mm -hmm. my day schedule is pretty packed. But the good news is we're just about through the editing process and we we should mm -hmm. be able to do the layout, insert all this this incredible amount of art that we have for the book that a bunch of the yeah. stretch goals made possible. 
Um, there's some adventures yeah. that get to go in there. Some like pre-made scenario type things. And um, just, mm -hmm. I'm really excited with what this final product's going to look like. Yeah. I've said this several times, but I am also very excited. It's going to be fantastic. So once that gets done and through that process, do you have any plans to get it out there to stores or anything like that? Like if someone missed out on the Kickstarter and they're hearing this and realizing how amazing it is and they're sad they missed out, uh, is there anywhere they're going to be able to get a hold uh, of yeah, that? Yeah, we'll, we'll definitely have it online. Uh, you know, the mm -hmm. um, uh, drive through RPG is uh, something we're mm -hmm. setting up. There's a, another distributor mm -hmm. who contacted me that I, I probably shouldn't name names yet, but I'm looking forward to working uh -huh. with them once once there's a deal signed. And, uh, nice. of course I'll just, I'll have the PDF for sale immediately as soon as it's ready. So, yeah. um, and yeah. the nice thing about those is I can always, you know, post an update if we find a, a mistake in the PDF or, or just want to update something that was unclear. Um, but uh -huh. that's that the, I, I, I should say that with the caveat, we are not putting this out with the intention that like, oh, we'll fix it later. It's like, oh it's, yeah, it's taking a while because this is going to be a hundred percent the finished product. Yes, it's, it's the thing that I'm I'm really proud of and, and excited to produce. Yeah, it's going to be fantastic and perfect when it comes out, I'm yeah. sure. And thank, so. thank you for your support with the project, too. It's, uh, oh, I really appreciate everyone who uh, uh, contributed. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for making it. It's fantastic. So uh, is there anything else before we sign off? I, I don't want to take up any more of your time. Is there anything else that you want to put out there about any other projects you're doing or anything about demigods or where we can find you online? Oh, yeah. So the, the best place to find me and what I'm working on is on Twitter. Um, my uh, Twitter name is at it's probably okay. Just the letters <laughs> okay. Mm -hmm. And uh, then Demigods is at demigodspbta.com. And mm -hmm. the quick play is up there now. You could grab that. It's got like three pages of, you know, how to play the game and then all the playbooks and basic moves and every, everything you could need to play. And um, I'll, uh, th there's also a place to sign up for my newsletter on that website. So I'll, I'll email folks about upcoming games and all that. But uh, if I could plug one thing, it's uh, my friend oh, yeah. Kimmy's game is kickstarting right now. She's, I think, about a week into the Kickstarter. It's already funded. It funded huh? in a day. Um, yes. And it's this awesome kind of uh the it, she calls it the the r&d for your rpg so you, you you do this sort of tarot style card game to set up all the relationships between your characters and the backstory mm -hmm. and either you know whatever your setting is like you can you can plug it into whatever set you know whether it's spaceships or fantasy or, or apocalypse mm -hmm. or whatever you can um, I'm, I'm a big fan of this game. I didn't have anything to do with making it. So I'm, I am <laughs> purely, <laughs> purely a stand, but it, um, it's very, very cool. They just got through their big, big stretch goal for like yeah. this awesome art that's going to go on it. Check out Decuma, D-E-C-U-M-A. Uh, it's very, very cool. Yes, I'm also excited about that. I talked to Kimmy uh, a couple weeks ago oh, before good. the Kickstarter. Yeah, and I backed it the first day. It oh, was yeah. Awesome. I'm, I'm very excited about that. And the artwork on it is also very cool. I'm a sucker for artwork. So oh, yeah. when you were talking about there are people that backed uh, demigods because of the art, I was, yeah. I mean, I knew what it was about from talking to you about it and from reading, but art will get me every time. <laughs> yeah, I, me too. I, you know, I just, I like also any project that is clear that they are, 
you know, paying their creators what, you know, yes. a, a fair amount. And that was yep. important to me as well in, in the production process, because a lot of folks are out there saying, oh, you know, you'll get the exposure, you'll get this, you'll get that. And I'm like, well, mm -hmm. we need to, you know, agree on a pay structure beforehand because everyone should be yes. paid for their work. Absolutely. I fully agree with that. Awesome. Well, Jason, it's been great talking to you. Thank you so much for taking some time out to chat with me about uh, all the things that we talked about. And oh, Absolutely. This yeah. has been a blast. Thanks for having me on. Yes. Thank you again. And I will talk to you later. <laughs>